Welcome to the fifth episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. I'm your host, James Herrick, and today we're going to break down UFC Fight Island 6, Brian Ortega versus the Korean Zombie, and then after that, we're going to talk about some other news in the UFC, and we might break down next week's fight card, UFC 254, Khabib versus Gaethje a little bit. So, to start, Ortega versus the Korean Zombie, right? Brian Ortega had an amazing performance. I believe it was 50-45 on all three of the judges' scorecards. And in that, he had a he had, he had dropped the Korean Zombie in round one and two. In the first round, he did it with an overhand right. And in the second round, it was with a beautiful spinning elbow where he didn't quite land with the elbow, landed a little bit more with the tricep, but it was still a great shot that put the Korean Zombie down. And a lot of guys... Um, the Korean Zombie has a great chin, obviously. So a lot of guys out there in the featherweight division are probably going out with both of those shots. But overall, Brent Ortega looked incredible. He looked great on the feet. That's where most of this fight took place. There wasn't much work happening on the ground. Um, Brent Ortega took some shots, but, right? but the Korean Zombie defended all of Ortega's shots pretty well. But... um. Anytime that Ortega shot and couldn't get the takedown, he would have a single leg and he would release a single leg and fire immediately with the right hook on uh, the Korean Zombie. And that was there for him all night. And um, it's just another layer of Brian Ortega's game that he does so well that I don't see a lot of other people do that. I saw him do that on at least three or four occasions where he shoots, gets one leg, Korean Zombie's doing good defensively. He gives up on the takedown but lands a shot instead, right? And a right a right hand instead. So he does things like this where he re- that's where he really separated himself in that fight for me was doing things like that. Obviously the two big power shots, and uh, he looked really good. His jab looked really well. He was hitting that jab all night on uh, the Korean Zombie, and overall Brian Ortega looked amazing. Before the fight, Dana White came out and said that the winner was going to fight Volkanovski for the title. And uh, even if Dana White wouldn't have said that, I feel like that performance from Ortega would have garnered that same response anyways. So it's very likely that we see Ortega versus the uh, Ortega versus Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky next. I think that's fairly undisputed that we see that. Um, and if Ortega looked, if Ortega can go and face Volkanovsky like he did the Korean Zombie last night, there's a good chance that he can win that fight, especially I think uh, the grappling department is going to have a big uh, advantage. But from what we saw last night, Ortega doesn't have to rely on his grappling. He looked tremendous striking in the striking game. Obviously, like I said, two drops, one of that being a Muay Thai elbow. Um, He threw a lot of good kicks in there. I saw he landed several nice body kicks, and he Took some. He attempted some kicks to the head, which is, which is great. Here, you know, we obviously love those. So um, Ortega's game it looked incredibly more developed than when we last saw him, and it looked spectacular. Um, you can tell that he's been out of the octagon since that loss to Max Holloway. But with that being said, you can tell he hasn't been out of training. He's still been training this whole time, and he looked tremendous. And uh, the Korean Zombie, he did not look bad either. Despite the loss, he still looked well. You can still see how good of a striker he is and how how elite of a fighter he is despite this loss. So I don't think that that is going to... I don't think this loss changes anything. 
in terms of the UFC and where he goes next. I think there's a good chance that they try and get him in that Holloway match. I mean, um, they were talking about they wanted to make that match before. So now you have both Max Holloway and the Korean Zombie coming off a loss. I think that's a fight that is likely to happen now. Um, assuming neither the, assuming that uh, the Korean Zombie doesn't need too much time off. You do have Zabit and Yair, and Dana said that they were looking at, at getting those two guys paired up. So this division is in a great spot. I mean, we've talked about this division several times here on the podcast, and all the way up to six, I feel like, are very elite fighters. So um, I don't know what they're doing with Calvin Cater right now, but um, if they match up to beat and Yair, I feel like Max and the Korean Zombie is a good match to make there, just based solely off the fact that they're both coming off a loss, even though Max Holloway's last loss wasn't really a loss. A lot of people think he won that, but... As long as Ortega's going to fight for the title, Holloway versus the Korean Zombie is a good matchup that I think everybody wants to see and has wanted to see for a long time. We can get that fight done now and um, see that next year. So that should be entertaining. Moving on to the co-main event. The co-main event was Jessica Andrade versus Caitlin Chikagan. And Andrade looked great in this. Um, I still can't quite figure out what she did that ended that fight. It looked like she landed a big body shot. Hurt Chikagan. Um, I haven't heard anything else about that, but it looked like Chikagan was injured, and I do feel like Andrade did cause that injury. But um, she was dominant in the first round, anyways. So she lands a nice shot on Chikagan's body to get the injury, and then from there it looked like she just landed. She saw she smelt blood, and she came in with three, four more body shots. Dropped Chikagan. Ref ends the fight. But throughout the whole fight, Andrade looked great. She, um, Andrade utilized a great game plan here. Coming into this, it was very obvious that Ch- Caitlin Chikagan is so much taller and so much more lengthy than Jessica Andrade. But Andrade was able to close the distance, land shots coming in, and eventually get in the clinch and go for takedowns, which is the perfect game plan for Caitlin Chikagan, especially when you're Jessica Andrade. So she was able to come at come and use her game plan effectively and I was very impressed with that so what's next for Jessica Andrade is I feel like that was a number one contenders fight as well Caitlin Chukagan obviously just fought for the belt against Valentina Shevchenko but now that Andrade won that fight it it's very likely that we see her fight for the belt after Jennifer Maia is obviously fighting at UFC 255 against Shevchenko for the belt but after that match I think that it's very likely that we could see a Andrade versus Shevchenko match for the belt. And I'm assuming that Shevchenko takes that. And I think a lot of people are going to assume that Valentina Shevchenko is going to win that match against Jennifer Maya. Um, the odds are greatly in Valentina's favor at the moment. I don't think um, the Vegas odds... Yeah, the Vegas odds is... Her is a massive favorite, and I think a lot of people within the UFC space also believe that um, she is the major favorite, and we're not too worried about Jennifer Maia taking out Valentina Shevchenko. Moving on, we had Jimmy Crute 
Jimmy Crute came back and fought again um, after his most recent loss, and Jimmy Crute looked great in there. He landed a nice takedown, um, but he did a lot of his work on the feet until that finishing blow where he landed a couple big shots. He landed three big shots to put out um, Bobskis, and that was a tremendous performance by Jimmy Crute. Jimmy Crute um, throws concrete out of those hands. I mean, he landed that um, uppercut. He drops him with the right hand. Then he then Bauskas comes back up. He lands the uppercut. And then Bauskas is retreating. So he lands the left hand square to put him down. And Jimmy Crute is uh, ex- an exciting prospect in this late heavyweight division. And I'm so excited to see what he can do. Obviously, he um, he is 12-1. and one with this is his second fight this year so and i think after that he can make the turn relatively soon jimmy crude normally fights two or three times a year but i mean when you win like that there's not much that uh it takes to turn around right so i think we're getting to the point where we're getting close to seeing jimmy crude in the top 15 i don't want to push him too soon obviously but jimmy crude uh has looked tremendous in his last couple fights so, um, respect to Jimmy Crute on that. Now, there isn't much more that I wanted to talk about from that fight card. Um, the top three fights were all great fights, with two of those having title implications on the line. One confirmed, one unconfirmed. Other than that, there were uh, a lot of great fights. Let's talk about... Thomas Almeida versus Jonathan Martinez. I think a lot of people were excited to see Thomas Almeida back in the octagon again, obviously. Coming up, he was a big up-and-coming fighter that a lot of people thought could be the champion. And um, Jonathan Martinez went out there and picked him apart, really. Won all three rounds, I believe. And um, overall, Jonathan Martinez looked great. There's another guy in that featherweight division that has great striking, great hands. Anytime you go out there and outstrike um, Thomas Almeida, you're putting yourself in good company. And then also along with that, we had Saeed Nurmagomedov went out there, and he performed well as well. Saeed landed a big combo that put his opponent out 51 seconds into the first round. And um, I'll tell you what, if your last name is Nurmagomedov, there's a good chance you're a dog, right? So... um We've got Nurmagomedov filling up these cards, and uh, they all look great. And if you did not see Umar Nurmagomedov, is off of next week's fight card, UFC 254, because of a staph infection. So we will not be seeing, seeing Umar Nurmagomedov, who was, that was a fighter I was looking forward to seeing. So unfortunately, we will not see that next weekend. All right, moving on to Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, right? Okay, so that fight is it looks like it's going to happen January 23rd. Connor and Dustin both accepted the January 23rd date. So that is likely to happen. Connor wants that fight in Dallas Stadium. And um, there's a chance that that could happen. Obviously, I think if... if that if Texas will allow full crowds, I think that they will go ahead and put that fight in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium and sell that out. But with that being said, 
I, we, I we're all obviously unsure with whether there will be full crowds in January or not. I think Texas will be one of the first places with full crowds. Obviously, it's Texas, right? And um, Dana White is said he's not going to try and half full an arena, right? Dana White said, if you want to keep us to 50% capacity, we're not going to do 50%. It's just going to be empty. I don't know why he's so bullish on that because um, knowing Dana White, he likes his money, right? So if Dana White can fill an arena to 50%, even I'm surprised he's not uh, too too bullish on... Uh, I'm surprised he's so bullish on not be, being willing to do limited capacity crowds but that's his prerogative and that's fine i don't think anyone's going to complain about that i'm just surprised that he's doing that but with that being said um dustin Poirier versus conor mcgregor and i'm interested to see what comes out of this right so if if dustin can beat conor i don't know what they're going to do with dustin because that puts dustin in a situation where i don't think anyone is glamoring to see the rematch rematch against khabib I think if he beats Connor, there will be more um, more people who want to see the rematch versus Khabib. But I still don't think that gets you the rematch with Khabib, especially after Khabib manhandled him the first time around, dominated that fight. I think we would look to other fighters like Tony and um, GSP for who would fill that slot versus Khabib. But Khabib is on the record as to saying he thinks Dustin Poirier is the best lightweight in the division. And if you can beat him then you deserve a shot at the title. So with that being said, if Connor can beat Dustin, um, there's a chance that they could give him that rematch. And um, I think Dana wants that fight. I think there's no doubt Dana wants that fight because he knows it sells. He knows that fight sells. Everybody knows that fight sells. You could walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, do you think, uh, think Connor and Khabib 2.0? Do you think that could sell a lot of pay-per-views? They'd go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? It's just one of those things where um, that's a fight that's always there, that people always want to, that people will always want to see, right? There's, But on the flip side of that, there are people who, there's a lot of people who don't want to see that fight. There's a lot of people who say, hey, Khabib dominated the first time around. I don't want to see that. And that's just fine. But in terms of the UFC selling pay-per-views, those people are still going to buy the pay-per-views, right? Those people out there who are saying, I don't really want to see that fight again, they're still going to buy it again, right? And that's what the UFC is worried about. They're not really worried about, hey, do you want to see it? But are you going to buy it, right? Anytime Khabib and Conor are fighting on a card, they get big pay-per-view buys. When you put them together in this big of a rematch, it'd be fireworks. I'd be interested to see how Conor would approach that fight in terms of trash-talking. Obviously, Khabib was the last opponent that he really trash-talked. Um, he didn't trash-talk Cowboy, and at this point so far, he's been respectful to Dustin, which is surprising considering what he, him and Dustin have been through a lot. They obviously, the first time around, Connor trash-talked him, and throughout that, Connor has been um, very critical of Dustin being higher than him in the rankings ever since he lost to Khabib. Connor has always called out the rankings. And uh, I can't imagine that Justin likes that too much. But Connor said he wanted to fight Manny Pacquiao after. That's why he wanted to fight Dustin. Dustin's a southpaw boxer. So he thought, I can do this in MMA right now. And um, then after this, I can go fight Manny Pacquiao. Which I find intriguing. Intriguing because does that mean he doesn't want the Khabib rematch? 
is kind of trying to wait for Khabib to retire at 30-0 and then come in and get the belt again. I feel like I feel like that'd be a bit of a bit of a sissy move to do that, you know? It's a bit of a sissy move in terms of, hey, I don't really want to fight Khabib again. Um, I'll wait till he retires and try try to get the belt against someone like Tony Ferguson or Justin Gaethje. Now, with that being said, do I think Conor's trying to do that? I don't. I don't think he's going to get that pac- Manny Pacquiao fight. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that's what he wants, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I think he's going to eventually, if he wins this fight, look at Khabib. If Conor loses this fight, we're in trouble. Because I don't know what you do with Conor McGregor if he loses. If he loses, the only fight left on the board for Conor is probably the Nate Diaz trilogy. And I can't imagine that people are too interested in seeing that. If Conor's coming off a loss and Nate Diaz is coming off a loss, people would just write it off as two wash fighters with big names. So, um, I, in the sake of Conor McGregor's career, I hope he wins this. Because I think anytime Conor McGregor is in the sport, I think we're at a much better place. So by him winning fights, he stays in the sport. And I think, like I said, that puts the sport in a better place. Another interesting thing is they haven't said what weight class this is going to take it, take place at. Um, obviously, Conor's last fight was at 170, not making the cut to 155 against Cowboy. Now, I'm interested to see whether they take this fight at 155 or 170, right? Um, Ali Abdelaziz has recently came out and stated that he wants this fight at 155, which he's not the manager of either of these fighters, so he's just telling you his opinion. But I do want to talk about that. Ali said that he wants this fight at 155 because it's not fair to other fighters like Tony, Dan, Oliveira, guys like this who make 55 every week, or every fight, excuse me. They make 55 every fight, and then they have to make that weight cut, and that's how they have implications in the lightweight division. Well, on the other hand, Connor can go 170 and beat someone at 170 and having implications at 155, direct implications. Now I understand where he's coming from, but at a lot of, at a lot of times that um, what you do outside of the outside of a division also impacts what's going to take place inside that division. For example, right now it's um, people moving up and down in divisions. So when um, we'll just use Edson Barbosa as an example. So right now, Edson Barbosa has just won his last fight at 145. If he moved back up to 155, you would still look at his 145 fights to determine how well he did in those fights to determine where you put him in the lightweight division. So what you do outside the division still impacts what happens inside of a division. But, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I feel like they would. I feel like Connor's going to try and get this fight at 170. I don't know if Connor can still make 155 because Connor has looked jacked. Um, a lot of Instagram posts have come out of Connor, and he is doing major weightlifting, which I feel like he is right now. He's more of a 170 frame, but I th- that cut to 155 is going to be brutal. But I think Connor has the discipline to do that. Looking based off what he did to get down to 145. When he was fighting at 145, he was in the frame of a 155-pounder. So now he's a now he has a frame of a 170-pounder, and he's probably going to still be able to make that cut to 155. I don't think Conor likes cutting weight, but I think he can do it, and I think he's going to try to do it at the least amount of times he can, right?
Uh, um, if the UFC wants to make this Poirier Connor fight at 170, I don't think it's that big of a deal, to be honest. A lot of people get really upset about that, but I'm not too bullish on the fact that if two guys go fight outside of a division, then that shouldn't impact that same division. Even if Dustin and Tony wanted to go fight at 170, they fight at 170. I think that should still have implications at 155. So I'm not just saying this because it's Connor. I think this can be used a lot of times um, in certain situations. And I think that situation, uh, I think it should apply in this situation, right? And let's talk about Tony for a second. Tony has been big in the news. We talked about him a little bit last week. I'm interested to see what happens with Tony, especially if this Poirier-McGregor fight happens that directly affects Tony Ferguson because now you're taking Tony Ferguson's two names off the board that he was the biggest in fighting, right? So Tony wanted Dustin or McGregor. He's not getting either of those guys. So Tony is the real loser of this fight. That leaves Tony with Dan Hooker, Charles Oliveira, Paul Felder, um, and Michael Chandler for his next fight, right? Now, I, I don't think Paul, I shouldn't even have said Paul Felder, to be honest, because I don't think Felder is too bullish on fighting right now. I'm, he kind of announced his retirement earlier in the year. I'm surprised he's still in the rankings at this point. He hasn't showed much interest to fight. Um, I believe he's retired because he did announce it, but um, he's still in the ranking. Let's Let's see how long they keep this guy in here, or let's see how long they can keep Paul Felder in here, obviously. As long as he's not retired, he's still a top 10 fighter in that lightweight division. And I thought he won that fight against Dan Hooker, but that's besides the point. So, right, that leaves Tony with Dan Hooker um, and Charles Oliveira, really. But like we were talking about last week, Dan Hooker and Nate Diaz, is that fight going to happen? Um, that's a fight that I personally want to see happen at 155 or 170. Um Right, so if you take Dan Hooker off the board, I think there is a good potential that that Hooker Diaz fight takes place. So right now, if you have um, that leaves Tony Ferguson with everybody matched up besides Charles Oliveira. Now that'd be a fun fight with Charles Oliveira, and I think um, Charles Oliveira deserves to move up in the rankings. But I'm not sure if Tony's going to take that fight. I think um, Tony would rather fight Michael Chandler. That's just my my uh what i'm thinking about this so i'm interested to see where this goes um this lightweight division we're getting names paired up which i like seeing i like seeing names get paired up we're not seeing names get paired up in that uh, 170 division right we're still looking at Usman and burns it looks like those two are still gonna fight um i feel like getting fights fight fights booked with kamara Usman is uh Pulling like pulling teeth is what it, what it feels like to me, right? Kar, Kamara Usman's a great fighter, but um, not great at getting these about agreements signed. I don't know why. That just seems like uh, that just seems like what we're doing now. We're not signing about agreements, right? Let's look at who Usman has fought in these last couple years. He fought. Yeah, so he's got one fight in 2020, two fights 2019, three fights 2018, so I guess it's not that bad. Um, two in 2017, two 2016, right? But I always feel like, right, that's the thing about Kamara Usman is, it always feels like we're trying to get a fight booked for Usman, right? 
You know, we were trying to make that Covington fight for a long time. We were trying to make that Masvidal fight for a long time. We were trying to make that Tavern Woodley fight for, uh, I guess that wasn't trying to be made for a long time. Right? But since he won that belt March, March, he won the belt March 2nd, 2019. He defended it in December and July, which I guess isn't too bad, but um, he didn't take much damage against Jorge Masvidal. So let's get him out there. This welterweight division is so stacked. I want to see these guys fight, right? Kamaru Usman's a great fighter, but we got guys like Covington deserves a rematch. Burns is out there, has earned a shot. Edwards is, you know, running around. We got Masvidal, Stephen Thompson. Right, so the more active this welterweight division is, the better. And I think Usman has a lot of great fights lined up for him here soon, but let's get some of these guys paired up, right? We got Covington and Masvidal. If we can get these guys paired up. We have Burns, who's going to fight next, we're assuming. Then that leaves Leon Edwards, and I wish they could make that Edwards and Thompson matchup. That would be incredibly entertaining, right? Everyone wants to see that, but... um. I think that fight can happen. I know Leon declined that fight. so But right now, I think that fight can still take place, especially if you book Covington versus Masvidal. I think if you book Covington and Masvidal, and then you tell, go back to Leon and say, hey, now we've got Stephen Thompson's really the only name left on the board. So you can either fight Stephen Thompson or wait probably six more months for another fight. I feel like he would probably end up taking that fight in that situation because he would have his hands tied a little bit. So I think we're close to getting these welterweight guys paired up. I feel like we've had this issue getting these guys paired up for a long time. But, um, yeah. So that's another thing I wanted to talk about real quick. And uh, let's. I'm going to do a breakdown of what I think going into UFC 254. So obviously the main card, UFC 254, we have... Khabib versus Gaethje at the top. This is such an entertaining fight to me. Not not because a lot of people are setting it for stylistic reasons as to why Gaethje has a chance to beat Khabib. I'm looking at this from a different perspective. I'm looking at this from a knowledge standpoint, right? Justin Gaethje's working with Trevor Whitman, great coach, obviously. But anytime I've seen Gaethje come out in interviews, um, his knowledge of how to beat Khabib has been spot on. He has been open about keeping his back off the fence, which is a crucial aspect of beating Khabib is keeping your back off the fence. If you can keep your back off the fence, you're gonna have more. You're gonna have more. Um, more. You're more likely to stop the takedown. We saw Connor shoot, or we saw Khabib shoot on Connor in the open, and Khabib or Connor had great takedown defense against that. Now, when Khabib shot on Connor against the cage, Connor had no chance of stopping that, right? Now, if Connor could get, kind of get a Khabib could kind of get a uh, takedown defense against Khabib in the open, imagine what Gaethje could do in the open. Obviously, Gaethje is a great defensive wrestler. He was a great wrestler at uh, in college. He was an All American. And he has used his wrestling skills in a defensive type of way. Um, a lot of people said the fact that he hasn't wrestled and think he still that think they think that will go away. I promise you, Justin Gaethje still has great defensive wrestling. He's working out with Kamara Usman. If you're sparring with Kamara Usman, you're gonna have to have good takedown defense because Kamara's going for those takedowns on you, right? Now, another aspect of this fight that I like Justin Gaethje in is his mindset, right? 
Justin Gaethje, you can see in all Justin Gaethje's fights where a lot of guys get tired and then they stop. You know, they get tired and then they look tired and they don't fight as well, right? Justin Gaethje looks tired, but it looks like he, in a unique way, looks like he's pushing through his fatigue, which is a great aspect of cardio, which if you can push through being tired, then that tiredness is not going to have as big enough as big of an effect on you as if you were to um, not push through that, right? Justin Gaethje has a different mindset than other guys when it comes to cardio, right? He can utilize pace because once he gets tired, he doesn't let the tiredness affect him. He doesn't let the fatigue affect him, which sounds crazy, but he does that in a way, right? Other guys who are cardio kings, like the Diaz brothers, Tony Ferguson, um, they use cardio and pace in a way that the other guy gets tired, they don't get tired, giving them an advantage. Justin Gaethje does it in a completely different way, where if he gets tired, he finds a way to push through that and um, continue to fight. Now, can he do that against Khabib? Because Khabib is famous for getting guys tired and pushing them to their limits and getting them out of there, right? So can Gaethje do that against Khabib is the question, right? I also like Gage's breakdown of landing leg kicks. I think landing leg kicks on Khabib would be a tremendous way to slow him down. If you can get some leg kicks on Khabib, if you can slow him down a little bit, right? If you can slow him down a little bit with that league leg, that is going to slow down his takedowns, make them easier to defend. Um, so I'm not sure that I, with everything I just said, with everything I just said, I think Khabib still wins this fight, but I think we look at this fight in hindsight and go, we have the plan. We know what we need to do to beat Khabib. I think Justin Gaethje reveals the book and reveals how it works and how just to do it. Um, so I still think Khabib wins this fight, but I don't think it's going to be a... I think he will... I think he finds a way to be dominant, right? He's going to show his dominance in certain aspects of the fight, but Justin Gaethje is going to unveil what you need to do to avoid being dominated, right? And I think he puts that puts that framework down for the next guy, whether that next guy is Connor, Tony, um, GSP, any of these lightweights. So I'm so excited to see that. I'm ready. This main card starts at 2 p.m. If you did not see that, the main card starts at 2. I believe it's main card 2, prelims 12, and um, early prelims 10.45 or 10.50, I believe. Those are Eastern, 2 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Eastern, 10.45 Eastern a.m. So, um... Wanted to do that real quick. Um, Cynthia Calaveo and Lauren Murphy are off this card, it looks like, due to um, Calaveo had to drop. I don't remember if it was COVID or not. Um, I will check on that real quick. But she did have to pull out of this fight. Um, oh, they had a replacement. Let's see who the replacement was. This must be new. Replaced by... Ooh, can't say that name. Lilia Sharikova. Oh, boy. So, 
Um, oh, well, Lauren Murphy's probably gonna ragdoll this girl because I'm having trouble finding her on Google. Okay. Um, yeah, so that is news. So, yeah, it looks like they just found a last-second late replacement. Um, Lilia Shari, Shak, Sh, Shakirova. Um, that looks like that is going to take, that is going to take place, Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy is probably going to dominate this fight from what I can see. Um, where Shari Rova is making her MMA de or UFC debut on short notice. So thankfully they were able to fill that in and there was no cancellation there. Moving to the co-main, Robert Whitaker versus Jared Cannonier. And it looks like the winner of this is going to fight for the belt. Especially if it's Cannonier, if it's Whitaker, we're going to have some more discussions because I don't think Adesanya wants that fight again because he already won that fight once, landing two shots that put Whitaker away. Um, so, in my opinion in this fight, is I think Whitaker is going to take this one. And I say that because looking at his last fight with Darren Till, Darren Till's a tremendous striker, and Robert Whitaker was able to out-technique Darren Till. And I think if you can out-technique Darren Till, you can out-technique just about everyone but Adesanya, right? So I think Robert Whitaker is going to win this fight through kind of uh, being technical, hitting leg kicks, staying on the outside, picking him, a, picking Cannonier apart, maybe using a little bit of wrestling this fight. Um, but with that being said, I'm not trying to write off Cannonier. Cannonier can still go in and win this fight, um, and I would not be surprised. But right now, I give it a slight lean to Whitaker. I believe the odds are very close. Moving down further on the card, we have Alexander Volkov versus Walt Harris. Um, I'm really hoping Walt Harris wins this fight, just for Walt Harris's sake. Um, Alexander Volkov is nobody's chump, right? This is the UFC heavyweight division is looking great right now that we can put on fights like Walt Harris and Alexander Volkov, who are six and eight. It's starting we're starting to get more and more in depth in the heavyweight division. Obviously once you get to um ten the ten to fifteen range, it starts to starts to uh whittle away in that depth a little bit, but that happens in most divisions, so we're not gonna be too critical there. Um, Walt Harris versus Alexander Volkov. I think that um, I think Walt Harris will be able to get inside, land some big shots, and hopefully put away Alexander Volkanovsky. That's my opinion on fight on that fight. That's how I see that going personally. And then in, there's some more fights that I'm very interested to see here. Um, this card is stacked. We have um, the Megamed Ankalev and Ian Kubalta fight is on this card. Um, there's other great prospects on this card. Nathaniel Wood's a great prospect. Um, Alex, Alex Oliveira's back on this card. Um, Stefan Struve, tied to Ivasa, is on this card, right? A lot of great fights here. Umar Namagamedov, obviously that fight got canceled. So as of right now, there's a lot of fun fights on this card. So I'm so excited for that. Um, kind of a, kind of a short a shorter podcast this week. I think I'm going to wrap it up there just because um, there. that's kind of all I wanted to talk about. There wasn't too much more news other than the Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight that was announced. Um, did a little bit of a breakdown on UFC 254, right? Nothing too crazy. So um, 
Thank you for watching the Head Kick KO podcast. Go follow the other social medias. Whatever you're watching on right now, we have this on Spotify, YouTube, um, several other streaming platforms. Go go follow on the Instagram, the TikTok, the Twitter. We're gonna start posting more on those. More content on those is coming. We ha- we have that in the works. Those will be out soon. So thank you very much, and we're out.